Hello and welcome to this special interview where I am joined by Tom Rosal, aka Survive the Drive. How are you, sir? I'm not bad, thanks, Bo. Thanks a lot for having me. No, no, it's a it's a pleasure. We've uh, spoken a couple of times before on my channel, History Bro, um, and uh, it's but the first time today we've met in person, so it's uh, yeah. an honour and pleasure to meet you. I'm a little bit of a massive fan of your content, oh. um, so today we're actually going to talk a little bit about the attempted cancellation of the word the phrase anglo-saxon and your part in that whole saga mm. um so but before we do just to mention your channel survive the drive which is uh, knocking on now what you're getting on for nearly 200k yeah i'll be 200 subscribers 200,000 subscribers soon and i've got 17 million views total so far so and climbing so see how, how it goes not bad and you've got many strings to your bow though isn't it because it's not just like you could describe yourself as sort of an anglo-saxonist i think your postgrad was in that yeah uh, but you also talk a lot about paganism lots about prehistory mm. you, you've got quite an eclectic set of things you talk about on your channel haven't you yeah well i studied uh, medieval history for my masters like 11 years ago but i only i didn't actually study a, a wide you know area of medieval history i focused very intently on Germanic paganism. So I was looking at old English literature, Anglo-Saxon stuff, and I was looking at Viking Age literature from Iceland, uh, or sources for the Viking Age from Iceland, because it's not actually mostly contemporary with the Viking Age, it's a couple of centuries after. But yeah, I was really interested in paganism, specifically Germanic paganism, because besides being a historian, I'm actually a practicing pagan. So for me, it was like also a personal religious journey of like, of learning that I wanted to know more about my religion. Uh, so I quit my job and went back to uni to learn about it. Um, but subsequently, I have, in the last 10 years, not been focused exclusively on Germanic history. And I've sort of gone backwards, like through history, like I wanted to learn more about the Bronze Age mm. and more about the Enealithic. And, like, uh, and the, uh, part of the impetus for me wanting to learn that was because when I did my dissertation on horse sacrifices back in 2012, the, my tutor was like, you can't compare Anglo-Saxon horse sacrifices to... Indian horse sacrifices and other, other horse sacrifices around the world just because they're Indo-European because Indo-Europeanism is not really like a, a solid theory. Uh, and, but then in 2015, I graduated in 2012. In 2015, like uh, Hark and colleagues, uh, genetic studies started to reveal that the Indo-Europeans had a clear genetic profile that you can see in the archaeological record. And in the years since 2015, like a phenomenon has happened called the genomic revolution, which is basically allowed for genetics to be much more accurate because there's, there used to be a risk of contamination. There's also much cheaper to extract valid DNA from ancient skeletons, uh, which wasn't possible in any way, in the same way before 2015. So they can do it at scale, faster, cheaper, and with more accuracy. So... Some people don't realize that although genetic studies in ancient DNA existed as far back as the 90s, that was Stone Age stuff in terms of genetic science. Like what's happened since 2015 has been revolutionary, not just in the genetics, but for history and archaeology. Uh, and people have described these genetic studies as being like the barbarians at the gates of Rome. Hmm. The, the, and the Romans in this, in this metaphor are traditional historians and archaeologists who have for so long relied on uh, sort of like theories that bring into question the validity of historical accounts uh, about invasions and replacements, which they consider to be like um, apocryphal and not really, not really 
maybe representing a sort of half truth, but not really the, the full story on the ground, and, the, uh, and, and they weren't really accepted. Well, now we can see, because of genetic studies, that things like the Anglo-Saxon invasion really did happen. The Indo-European invasions really did happen. Like the, the history of the world really was as bloody as people in the 19th century thought it was. Right. And that's right. why I've kind of like, I've been involved in like, because I worked for the World Health Organizations in science communications at the same time for, for like three years nearly. Uh, I was interested in doing the same thing with my channel. So helping people to understand what these genetic papers imply for historians and like for our view of history. Because uh, the average academics, very, very clever people with their nose stuck in books all the time, they have very comprehensive knowledge of their specialist subjects, but they're very reluctant to like expand into like interdisciplinary studies and to keep uh, up to date with what, you know, genetics is actually showing about their field. So I was trying to like push the envelope a bit further. And I think I, I had some success in that. I've made a lot more people aware of what Yamnaya are, <laughs> for example. <laughs> But uh, I've also upset a lot of people too. Yeah, like the, the early Indo-European. It's a bit of a meme, isn't it, even? Sometimes you say Indo-European quite a lot. If there's a drinking game out there, <laughs> every time Tom says Indo-European. Yeah, no, I am fascinated by the, sort of the early movements of people, prehistory. Mm. Uh, fascinated by all that sort of thing. L least of all sort of um, the people from Anatolia, sort of the dark-skinned but blue-eyed. The people that built Stonehenge or Newgrange or even earlier... The, mm. the earliest uh, sort of dolmens and things. Because one of the conversations we had, the first conversation we had actually was three years ago. Oh, Tom, can you? Time flies, time flies. Three years it's ago. Yeah. And I th it's actually, it mirrors quite well your most recent video uh, yeah. where you talk about the oldest tombs there are, things mm, like mm. Newgrange, or even much, much older in Britain. Yeah, a thousand years older than, right. than Newgrange yeah. in, in, Stuff in, in northwest France. Yeah, yeah. And like the early menhirs and all that sort of thing. So anyway, to actually see with real evidence, not just sort of 19th century um, literary historians, mm. but the actual real sort of evidence that you can't argue with. And it's fascinating, isn't it, to see how sort of in the 20th century, things got a bit warped, it seems. Yeah. Uh, and now, only now, really, we're coming back to, like you say, since 2015, we're coming back now to things that we can say are definitely true. And it seems the slightly older views are more accurate. Yeah, I can't remember who, was it, who, who originally said it, but it was um, told to me by a Twitter guy, uh, Stone Age Herbalist, where there was a, a headline where they said uh, there are, they're using 21st century uh, technology to ask 19th century questions. And they said, no, no, no. We, we're asking 20th century questions with 21st century technology, and we're getting 19th century answers. <laughs> and that's why they're angry. <laughs> it's interesting. So to get onto the actual term Anglo-Saxon, Mm. And there's, there was a movement going back quite a few years now, actually. It's not brand new, is it? It's going back a fair few years now where a certain strain, a certain element, shall we say, within academia uh, have taken umbrage to the very use of the term Anglo-Saxon mm. to describe England, early English things, that whole invasion. Mm. Um, and, and you've actually played a, a, a key role in that. I have. Um, the... the there's this issue now this year, everyone remembers in June, probably that the Cambridge University is saying for the ASNAC course, Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic studies. Uh, it's a good, a good course, some great people taking it and learning a lot from it. But they're now saying that they don't really want people to think that there's any such thing as Anglo-Saxons. And the idea that there's no such thing as Anglo-Saxons actually is older now than the, 
the ban Anglo-Saxon as a word. So banning Anglo-Saxon as a word within academia goes back to 2019. Uh, and it starts off with like the main three people, uh, Ra Mary Rambron Olm, uh, Dorothy Kim and Eric Wade. But there are other people, but these people will know each other personally. And they're like not major academics or anything. They're historians who are more focused on activism, racial activism than medievalism, even though they're ostensibly medieval historians. That's what they studied. But if you look at actually what their papers are all about, it's always about completely different stuff, like about race. Um, I can give you an example just of what Mary Ramber and Alm's priorities are before I go into the history of what my involvement in this whole thing since 2019 has been. In 2020, uh, at the University, uh, University of Toronto, she said, dismantling the system means changing the way our field, meaning medieval studies, is structured. And that means essentially burning it down, something that people are not prepared to do because they spend time and money learning Old English, Old Norse, Old Irish, or whatever. Those languages have saved absolutely zero people in our present day. So her uh, metric for valuing historical studies of how it saves, uh, you know, perceived marginalized peoples right now, and presumably any other, you know, inquiries into history are completely useless. They have no utilitarian value within her system. So, well, talking about systems and structures and burning them down, is she a... A Marxist? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, that's Marxist they're, they're type all pretty, They're all Marxist. They're all Marxist. Oh. Some. They're all, you know, uh, critical race theory types. Dorothy right. Kim is extremely, you know, that. I think she because I don't know these people. I've never. Dor Dorothy them. Kim used to run a blog called like Medieval People of Color, which just like trying to portray medieval Europe as being predominantly black and you know medieval Europe as being an extremely you know multicultural place which it wasn't. She is an American of Chinese descent, I believe. Uh, Mary Ramber and Olm is a North American, possibly Canadian, uh, of mixed racial ancestry. And uh, Eric Wade is, a, is an English guy living in Germany who is, uh, he describes himself as, uh, well, lists various pronouns and letters and then uh, says he's a helicopter parent to a kitty. So that's the kind of people that we're talking about. And... Um, Subversive, spiteful mutants. <laughs> you could say something like that. They're definitely. Have subversive. I gone too far? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't well, know. I don't, honestly never heard of these people. They are. Um, I call them grifters. Uh, like they're, yeah, they're, right. well, they're, they have. They're using the field of medieval studies as a vehicle for uh, extremist left-wing racial politics. Right. Okay. Uh, and and part of that uh, is, as she says burning it down yeah i mean she wants to burn down medieval studies her words that's what she said so like when they present me as a threat to medieval studies in in various sources but bear in mind when they say their objective is to burn it down presumably a threat means someone who doesn't want to burn it down uh, i think that's, that's true <laughs> truly subversive then truly inverted the meaning of words and yeah because yeah. that's the thing it's just a wider point of what we're talking about here is that we're engaged in some sort of um culture war some sort of cold war that mm -hmm. the west is up against a myriad of enemies mm -hmm. one of those battlefronts if you like mm -hmm. is history mm -hmm. our heritage yes uh, the very nature of of the the narrative of our own past yes. is under attack yes in a very real sense and in the vanguard it, it are people like this mm -hmm. it seems that are hell-bent on burning it down mm. just destroying it undermining it mm. uh, f for no other reason than f well for its own sake 
because they hate it. Well, they're aiming. Or they're at, resentful about they're it or something. The, Who knows? They're aiming at the root. Or Anglo-Saxons, you might be forgiven for thinking, okay, Anglo-Saxon is just one period of the history of these Isles. It's not so special. Or why why does it make such a big difference? But actually, you're missing the point of the significance of Anglo-Saxons in the history of this island, the story of this people, the English people. English people, as an ethnic group, are an ethnic group. Uh, that ethnic group is first defined and recognised within the Anglo-Saxon period, and the term English is used interchangeably with Anglo-Saxon, mm. Anglorum, Anglo-Saxorum, Anglish, Anglican. These all mean the same basic thing. They're referring to us or our ancestors who were basically the same as us. Slightly different in some ways, of course. It's a long time ago. But what is this, why does it matter when something so long ago what, to, to identity politics? Well, the reason is, for example, in Japan, does the samurai have any relevance to the salary man? Absolutely. The, although Japanese people don't, aren't samurais anymore, that's part of their heritage and their culture. So it's helped, it defines who they are. The same thing is true for us. We are the Anglo-Saxons of today. The term Anglo-Saxon was used in 2012 by Mitt Romney when he was trying to extend an olive branch to Britain saying, you know, we're of Anglo-Saxon heritage. Not that long ago in history, 2012, mm. but it feels a long time ago because you won't see mm. people talking like that anymore. Mm. Um, that is partly because of the efforts of these kind of activists. They want to simultaneously say that there was no such thing as Anglo-Saxons, but also uh, uh, that, 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 like undermine, trying to remove the word from and replace it with other words or whatever, just to try and like undermine the narrative of continuity in history so that the English people have a connection with the foundation of the, of the English nation. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, it, why are they targeting specifically English people? That you can speculate on, but that is the reason for it. But what a sort of, what a despicable, almost insane aim to have, uh, to try and destroy the very concept of somebody else's history. Uh, well, yeah. You mentioned there that, apart from the word, trying to ban the word, um, or the phrase. Or within uh, academia. Anyway. Uh, within academia, yeah. at least, right, mm. which is just the first step mm. in, a, in a, yeah. a much more sinister process, I would have thought. Um, yes, I think but so. where they try and deny that there's such a thing as Anglo-Saxon. But surely there's the Angles, the Saxons, the Jutes, well, I and that they I should, I should came over here. here. And that's yeah. a matter of record, though, isn't it? That's well, a matter that, of archaeological wasn't, and literary record, no? In 2019, there was... Um, some questions still about that because although I say like this big genetic stuff's happened in 2015, the really conclusive big papers, there's only been two really decent studies on ancient Anglo-Saxon DNA to, and th which have confirmed what the medieval sources from the likes of B, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles say. Yeah, yeah like right. they describe and also the Welsh sources as well describe, um, like Geoffrey of Monmouth described the invasion of Germanic peoples into the British Isles and they were called the English or the Saxons or whatever. And um, that narrative was accepted for most of history, but in the 20th century it became questioned. Uh, and to what extent that it wasn't true isn't just left-wing extremists. There's been a lot of other people besides left-wing extremists who's bringing that narrative into question mm. because they're like, what is the actual evidence on the ground that it occurred? Archaeologically, it's, there's definitely introductions of Germanic material culture, uh, the changes of place names, but they're like, what evidence do we have? Well, in 2016, there was a small paper, genetic paper, which showed... And there probably was a, a change. But then in 2022, there was a massive paper with like 800 Anglo-Saxon skeletons. And then we can say conclusively, there was a big replacement. Up to 75% of the population of Eastern England was replaced in that time. But this mm -hmm. is before, back in 2019, when I first sounded the alarm, 
I was actually, I made it was 16th October, 2019, um, after Mary Ramborn Alm had um, announced her resignation from the International Society of Anglo-Saxon Studies. Uh, she was trying to get them to change their name because she didn't want them to be called Anglo-Saxon uh, ISAS anymore. And she was subsequently successful, but that was a bit later. But that was a calculated resignation to try and kick up a fuss and get the ball rolling on that. I made a stream in which, in the first half of that stream, I criticized not her, but another, another academic who wasn't a left-wing extremist as far as I know, Susan Oosthuizen, who was one of these people who was saying, like, an archaeologist who was saying, the material cultural evidence for an Anglo-Saxon invasion isn't sufficient, and I don't believe it happened. She's basically saying, I'm, I'm summarizing her views. And then uh, I also bring up like Francis Pryor, who's a British historian who had a documentary once on television in the UK where he argued, oh, no, it was it was a very small migration of enculturation. And it was just a migration of English culture without any English people. So we're still Iron Age cult. So I was just saying I disagree with them. And then in the second half of the stream, I was like, the more sinister is this Mary Ramboran Alm, who is actually trying to ban the word Anglo-Saxon within academic studies, because that that would be an extra barrier for people to connect to the, that period on top of the people who are trying to claim separately that there's no actual reality of an Anglo-Saxon migration. I don't believe that Mary Rambranon made that argument about actual genetic evidence or absence of evidence. She was just the reasoning that Mary Rambranon and her colleague Eric Wade were using to justify the ban of the word was actually nothing to do with anything from the Anglo-Saxon period but rather the argument that subsequently in history it has been used by racists, therefore it shouldn't be allowed to be used. Yeah. And then that's a very tenuous, very, very weak argument. And some people pointed out like, okay, but because they were saying, why don't you use uh, early English instead of Anglo-Saxon? Someone's saying like, what is English Defense League? Not okay by your books because they don't say Anglo-Saxon Defense League. It's, it's a very... Uh, it's, it's, it's so fragile. It's so pathetic, mm, really. Mm. Um, I just, yeah, we just shouldn't pay any attention to that sort of nonsense. I think. But it's interesting, like, so the, the very concept that there wasn't really an Anglo-Saxon or a Jutish invasion. I mean, you look at, you mentioned Bede there, mm -hmm. um, or the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle itself. And then there's the archaeological evidence of something like Sutton Hoo, mm -hmm. for example. And I get that someone like, but I get that there could still be some question, because you also mentioned Geoffrey of Monmouth, who's famously untrustworthy. Yeah. A lot of people have said, I think quite rightly, that he made loads of things up. I think he did like, well. You're right, yeah. yeah. I mean, Hengist and Horsa may be completely made up by Geoffrey of Monmouth. But anyway. Uh, they're not. I've got okay. loads, loads of okay. sources on the continent. Fair from enough. Too, but, yeah. no, fair enough. I think they're gods, but, actually, myself. Oh, but, really? Uh, yeah, Anglo-Saxon okay. gods. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, there is some sort of question mark there, but not to the point where it doesn't seem... It's not really a credible argument, in my mind, from mm. what everything I've read and seen and know. Mm. Um, that you could say that it was minimal. <clears throat> it certainly doesn't seem to have been minimal based on the archaeology and the literary evidence. Well, I, and it's not I certainly didn't think so. I, I mean, for me, the, lit the literary sources and the archaeological evidence were sufficient to convince me. Right. But, like the, but now we have, anyway, 20, right. the, the, so. the, the massive uh, Gretzinger and colleagues thing from yeah. Germany. It's conclusive. There's no yeah. more. Right. And also there was previously a skull study. Not everyone <laughs> likes skull studies anymore, but <laughs> it was... It was a, a skull study that came to the, it said like 75, 80%. Uh, this is matching exactly the same figures that the genetic study is coming to. So there is getting a very, very clear picture of like an initial migration in the East with a roughly 75 to 80% migration, uh, replacement of population in the East of England. And then in the following centuries, a gradual sh shift, uh, like blending in where the Anglo-Saxon DNA spreads to the Western side of England and 
you now have a gradient where you did previously have a gradient before the Industrial Revolution with more Anglo-Saxon in the East and less in the West. But that gradient was somewhat blurred out during the Industrial Revolution when all people in England started moving around quite a lot domestically. Uh, But uh, yeah, so it definitely happened. uh, And there's no need for us to even debate that. But um, you say some of these people, some of these activists are sort of pretending it's still the early 2000s where they're still they're sort of pretending there's still this massive question mark. I think there were some, uh, definitely. But I think since 2022, like last year, that, that paper has forced them to right. shut up, which is great <laughs> because <laughs> I, I'm so waiting for a paper of that sort. To, but, what, but I should stress again that the, the main drivers of this series, Mary Ramber and Olm and Eric Wade, weren't depending on anything to do with like, whether the Anglo-Saxon migration happened or not. The crux of their argument was firstly the, the idea that, that it's been used in racist context, so therefore it's in, unacceptable to use anymore. And secondly, uh, an erroneous argument as well by uh, Eric Wade, particularly, that the, the, the ethnonym, the name Anglo-Saxon, wasn't used during the Anglo-Saxon period, even though it was. And there are plenty, there's plenty of evidence that it was. He, says, he said it was used, but it wasn't used enough. So, and, and that other words like Anglorum were used more frequently. But uh, I think that's a very tenuous argument as well. And even if that were true, that doesn't really matter, does it? It shouldn't matter. Well, but I mean, obviously, it matters because they're saying, oh, because it also added that combined <coughs> with the fact that it's racist. So the main argument is it's racist. But I think yeah. that the real goals are, are, are more, uh, more sinister. Hence, we have the Cambridge University in June saying the Anglo-Saxons didn't exist, which is that they, in a public statement, the Anglo-Saxons didn't exist as a distinct people, which is obviously false, mm. uh, genetically, culturally. The, the, the Welsh saw them as an other. The, the people who were their neighbours right, right. saw them as an ethnic other and had a mm. name for them. Mm. And we're able to recognise who they are even before we had genetic studies, we could recognize who they are by the burial context. We could recognize now who they are also by the uh, genetics. Now, there are ex- examples from the ex- Anglo-Saxon period where people of predominantly native British Celtic ancestry were buried in Anglo-Saxon contexts. So obviously there was a cultural, it was the, bar- the cultural barrier was permeable and people mm-hmm. could become uh, a-, a Germanic who had been born Celtic. And that's, that's what the ethnogenesis of the English people involved. It involved basically a lot of native British people adopting uh, and marrying into Germanic culture. Um, But for the most part, if you look at the uh, Germanic burial, the Germanic blood is there uh, almost always. Uh, We only have, I think, one burial of someone who's 100% uh, Celtic who's in a Germanic context. All the others have some amount of Germanic ancestry before they're put in a Germanic context. So the genetics just make things much more clear on the ground. But... uh, to go on from what, how this story progressed, in 29, by 29th of October that year, Eric Wade did a, a whole Twitter thread on me, which slanderous tw- uh, thread, repeating claims about me uh, that had been invented by Hope Not Hate earlier in that year. <laughs> but I had a threat of legal action. The most spurious of the claims were removed from Hope Not Hate's blog. But Eric Wade really, repeated- well, They tried to defame you. They claimed I was connected to a terrorist group called National Action which I've what? never had any involvement with. When I threatened legal action, Hope Not Hate removed it. The only problem is what? Eric Wade put it up on his Twitter. I can't sue him because he lives in Germany. And I tried to uh, make the threat of action against Twitter. And they said, well, we're not responsible for what people tweet. And uh, it, 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 it's basically, it wasn't possible for me to do anything about it. Um, but I, even though he's repeating things that the source that he's using had already retracted. Well, they didn't publish a retraction, but they removed the claims. Uh, that 
you know, there's literally no reason to think I had anything to do with National Action. I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> you can ask the members of National Action. Of course, it's illegal anyway, so I'd be uh, arrested for that if I hadn't been anyway, because right. uh, they were all arrested, all the members were. So it's completely made up. Um, but uh, And a load of other stuff was made up, which they didn't retract. Like I was connected to the National Front, which is not illegal, but it's still not true. I've never had any connection to the National Front. Well, Hope Not Hate did that as well. Hope Not Hate said, Hope Not Hate started it's these, mad, and then act these activist academics repeat it as a way to try and defame me and say, oh, <clears throat> he doesn't believe in banning the word Anglo-Saxon, and he's connected to the National Front. So mm. says the Labour government funded, and the Labour Party funded uh, activist group Hope Not Hate, so we must believe everything they say. Uh, and it's like a cycle of a feedback loop of like, or, uh, you know, of sourcing and citing with, without any actual substance anywhere to, to, to stand on. Just a, a dirty process of defamation based on, in the end, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just well, they always mention Carl, hope not hate. Mm -hmm. I was even name dropped in their last one because I dared to write an article about uh, remigration. Uh, but yeah, they, anyone that they find, it's, it's incredible really that they can sort of, defame people in that mm. way and essentially get away with it endlessly and get away with it because they've got deep pockets uh, officially they don't have much money but everyone knows that they don't their money isn't the money that they have in their bank account it's the money that their donors provide and also they must have connections to the uh, i don't know how to say it the establishment or if we've got some sort of deep state or something how they can sort of say something to the home office and things get done mm. or say something to the ccp yeah uh, there is a deep the, state the, in the cps sorry <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. They can say something to the CPS and something happens. It's like, well, wow, okay, who are these people? I mean, we know who the individual people are, but I mean, it's a yeah. terrible thing to have a, to blight one's country, something like Hope Not Hate. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an activist group. It's a pressure group. Mm. Uh, Americans who aren't familiar with British politics, I suppose it's vaguely similar to the SPLC or to the ADL or something along those lines. <laughs> um, it, was, it does have charitable status, I believe, or it has two separate things. One is charitable status and one isn't. And it grew out of what was formerly called Searchlight, which was a communist mm, group. Right. And that was successfully taken down. Uh, the, the, the founder of it, uh, Jerry Gables, was a uh, burglar and he was uh, involved in various criminal activities. Very dodgy bloke. Uh, somewhat successful legal action resulted in it shutting down, but it just, re it just came back again as hope not hate. So uh, it's a, the money's always there for them. It always comes in. And Gordon yeah. Brown is involved with them, the former uh, Labour leader, Gordon Brown. Uh, who, you know, famously referred to a member of uh, a, a concerned member of the public as a bigoted old woman when the mic he didn't realise the mic was turned off, which is a reveal reveals what the Labour really think of the working class. Again, where people. that little old lady who dared to mention that uh, there might be a problem with immigration. Yeah, um, but it, like it's hydra headed really the way these things, both America and Britain, most countries in the West, and including sort of Australia and New Zealand. Uh, there's actually loads of these types of organisations, mm, mm. just things like the ADL or Hope Not Hate, sort of the, the most uh, obvious ones. But there's actually loads of them, aren't there? That, yeah. Uh, their express aim is just to shut down people uh, like you. Shut, shut down dissent control. Right, yeah. People call it the NGO industrial complex. I've heard that <laughs> expression I quite like. But they're not all NGOs. But uh, I mean, this is, I think this, I regard the Hope Not Hate as an extension of the state uh, and perhaps, perhaps even of the intelligence services. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so anyway, sorry to carry on the story from after that, uh, which was just aimed at me specifically, that thread, which was mm. in, 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 in the context of my, he made that thread, but he was also talking in wider about the banning Anglo-Saxon who was saying how bad I was because uh, of my street, basically. He was, they were angry I did that stream on the 16th. 
So, and then, but by the following month, November, the Sun, the Daily Time, the Daily Mail, the Times, all big papers covered the story. So uh, that was good. So maybe my stream helped to bring more, because it got tens of thousands of views. So maybe it's helped to get people involved. Now, by the end of the year, around the turn of the year, uh, Professor John Hines, a respected academic uh, from Cardiff University, uh, respected in the field of, of, of medieval studies, he started a petition uh, which by some point in January had like 70 major academics within the field, mostly ones from Britain and Europe rather than America. The Americans seemed to side more with Ram Mary, Am Mary Ramber and Olm. But uh, they all signed saying this was, they're against spanning Anglo-Saxon within, uh, within it. And um, now that really upset the uh the activist historians um quite a lot what the anglo-saxons the descendants of anglo-saxons anyway dare to object yeah to their their complete historical cancel cancellation yeah wow. i mean also there were some besides those academics there were some you know c celebrity people like M michael wood you know the the, t mm. the, the historic history TV, he did an article defending anglo-saxon oh, cool. and like, some pretty left-wing people like were still like uh, were against her like uh, for one of them is um, f a pretty left liberal sort of bloke um, uh, who runs a, a, a history blog, uh, an archaeologist blog. Um, Howard, uh, what was his name? I've got it here somewhere. But uh, he 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 was attacked by them, even though he did a state he did on his blog. Howard Williams, Professor Howard Williams, a blog saying, you know, I don't agree with them. You know, I believe we need to rid medievalism of racism, but. I don't believe in banning the word Anglo-Saxon. And then in a subsequent statement, they started saying how he was in league with me or something. And then, so I'm the devil and he's a demon by association or something, this sort of strategy. Mm. Um, but uh, I think he's threatened him with legal action for trying to associate him with me. But I have, I have enough. I said to, in my stream in the 16th that I thought Howard Williams was um, not uh, going far enough and that he, was, he didn't understand the severity of the situation and what their motivation was. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't uh, say that I was in league with him or something. So they were just trying to tar everyone with the same brush who basically saying, the technique was to say, Tom Rousel is a white supremacist. And if you agree with him, you are too. So mm -hmm. uh, the problem, that very faulty logic, that's one problem. The other thing is calling me a white supremacist, which I've never, ever said anything to promote the supremacy of one race over any other in any, any online or offline source anywhere. So it's completely unfounded to say that. But they're just uh, smear merchants, dirty, dirty smear merchants. But they make this into like a, a fact TM that Redditors can, can quote because uh, the peer-reviewed article published in the Post-Medieval Journal, Volume 11, Issue 4 of 2020, entitled Race, Medievalism and the 18th Century Gothic Turn, it attacked and slandered me, and that was written by Helen Young, who's one of these activist historians too. Well, again, calling you out by name. Well, yes, it's, I got the quote. It says, white supremacist YouTuber survived the jive who claims to have a graduate degree in medieval history from <laughs> University College London. I said, po it's a postgraduate degree, actually, but yeah, <laughs> who posted a video attacking medievalists of color. I never attacked medievalists of color. And their allies who were advocating that scholars no longer use the racist term Anglo-Saxon. Um, the guess who was the editor of that edition of the journal was it that Ohm lady it was indeed okay. it was that so okay. <laughs> so it's it's ostensibly just a random academic calling me out but it was really it's the same people again and again right. so now right. because it's peer-reviewed the peer being someone who hates me she also tweeted something about farts and he said 
Tom Rousel and his he propelled by farts or something like that. She's just crazy obsessed with me or something. Mm. But then she's <laughs> using her power position and the privilege associated with peer review to claim to say things like white supremacist with no I of course threaten legal action. They and I say you have no grounds to call me a white supremacist. But the um, they say you know what's white supremacist mean? You know they start juggling with the mm. definitions like. Uh, and also they hide behind the fact that you can't, that they are protected, publishers are protected by peer review. So you can't, uh, defamation cases against peer yeah. review in Britain are very hard. Explain that to me a bit. I, I, I'm surprised by that, that if, if they print something defaming you, mm. but it's in an, some sort of academic context, mm. you, you can't prosecute them in any way. How does that work? Well, What's that about? There's some kind of, there are some protections for publishers within UK with peer review. So within an academic context, it's like, uh, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but enough, my lawyers explained to me the, there is like a, there are protections in place for peer review so that they don't have to worry too much about defamation cases all the time. So it's harder to, okay. to, uh, launch a, to, to launch a uh, defamation case against a peer reviewed uh, publication than it is against anything. So if anyone, like if a newspaper repeated that, I could sue them straight away. Right. But uh, they, no newspaper would dare, would dare say that because I would immediately sue them. Right. Uh, but uh, there is no reason. And I said even in their email to their lawyers, like where is one thing I've said that's white supremacist or anything? They can't point to anything. They don't, they just start saying, well, what does white supremacist mean? Or what, it doesn't matter what, because you, you might not, you, you know, white supremacy can just mean, you know, something else or whatever like they're, they're very slimy and they did another thing as well another one in um uh despite me threatening them or maybe because um there was another talk another another peer-reviewed journal in the yearbook of english studies in 2022 last year called what's in a name the past and present in anglo-saxon studies by mary ramburn olm and eric wade and they said this time uh I have ties to the National Front and that my white, white supremacist. So they used the Hope Not Hate article that made up the thing of the National Front back in 2019. And then they made up their own made up claim of me being a white supremacist again. So they're sort, citing themselves and the thing they made up in this like feedback loop, like air conditioning on an airplane, breathing in their own gases. So, uh, I mean, it's not hyperbole to say they are just smear merchants. That, that's all that is. Really. They're, using, they're using academia as a how... mixture for like, political activism but also just like personal vendettas and smear mm. merchants like they are making a mockery of the function of peer review and of the legal protections that are given to it then they're, they're abusing the powers that they're given and they don't and uh, what is her justification what is her objective she stated it and i stated that at the beginning she stated it publicly in canada to destroy medieval studies that's what she wants to do so i mean it's her words like uh, it's very. It strikes me as very small. These are small people, that where that's your aim and that's how you go about doing it. Mm. I mean, uh, it's like it's beyond petty, really. I can't imagine it's playground hating, stuff. It's playground I can't imagine stuff. hating an ethnic group so much that I would devote my entire life to like claiming studying their history, but actually not studying their history, just entering an academic field associated with studying that history of that people only so I can dismantle it. Like you'd have to be absolutely consumed with hatred, yeah, like consumed. in a really pathological way. Yeah, can you imagine yeah, like yeah. the actual motivation it. for that? You'd be, you'd need to be so twisted with hate. Yeah. 
Uh, that's the only I can't actually understand otherwise what the motivation is like yeah. what, why would someone be like that it uh, possessed with a type of resentment towards you or something yeah. I mean yeah I don't I can't wrap my mind around it really it does, I've it, never it, felt that for anyone or anything I don't it, think yeah, Wait, no, no, I, I don't. I, certainly I, haven't. I don't even know it's... anyone that hateful. But I mean, most people who study something do it because they love it. Like, right, it's yeah. love. That yeah. love is what makes you get really interested and passionate about a topic. So it's hard for me to think of someone like hating the thing that they devoted their life to. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, but yeah, this is this is what the evidence shows. Uh, this is what they're doing. Um, and yeah, uh, on, on from that we come to twenty twenty three with uh, the ASNAC department, as I mentioned at Cambridge, saying the Anglo-Saxons are not a distinct ethnic group and to seek, uh, they seek the term to be more, their words, anti-racist. And that prompted lots of outrage. I'm glad to see quite immediate outrage in the Telegraph, the Yorkshire Post, the Critic, the National Review, nice. the European Conservative, many publications talking about it. It wasn't necessary for me to be the, the you know, ringing the bell of alarm. All the media are straight on it. So the, there yeah. is a different uh, political climate now than there was in 2019. Um, but they still really resent me for being, I guess, the first person to call them out right. uh, with, with a, a simple YouTube stream. Yeah. Uh, it, it's good to see that there has been some sort of change where someone like the Critic or the Telegraph or something mm. would be prepared to publish something, as you say, sort of straight away. Mm -hmm. That is positive. Mm. Um, they, just not prepared to roll over straight away. I mean, even the term anti-racism quite often just means white racism, racism yeah, against whites, yeah, rather. It can be That's used just that way. what anti-racism quite often is used to mean. Mm. Or if you want to uh, sort of diversify, diversity often just means less whites. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Or mm. it's a byword for just a hatred of whites. <laughs> I um, have noticed that too. Yeah. Um, within, within academia, uh, I mean, I think it's become worse since I, in the 10 years since I left any kind of academic, you know, field uh i i i did have i was vaguely involved in academia in 2015 because i was applying for a phd position in sweden which i didn't get but i was studying in within the swedish university that like even then i just think like the mo the far left was much more focused on like feminism and things then and now it's just become very very laser focused on racial stuff and specifically mm. white anti-white mm. stuff like there really is a a hatred of like white culture and white civilizations uh and or even the idea that there's such a thing as a white civilization yeah, whiteness. even say they whiteness say they itself. say whiteness not yeah, white the, people the concept the, of whiteness yeah. is evil or wrong or something yeah. yeah well the idea of saying whiteness is itself a dehumanizing strategy because they don't want to say white people because they say we, we don't acknowledge white people there are only people and some of them are afflicted with a like a mind virus of whiteness which is like the delusion that they belong to a common cultural heritage group like every other people in the world do but that they just try to say that somehow that doesn't apply magically when you like the western part of eurasia that suddenly the rules that apply to all the rest of humanity don't no longer apply um like it, it there is no no one is saying that there's a problem with the japanese identifying with the continuity of their culture going back to you know the edo period and beyond like it's but there is with britain with their foundational I mean, our, our English specifically, our, the, the foundational myth of England is well established. It's in Anglo-Saxon England. It's in King Alfred, who, you know, and in Bede as well. Bede and then later Alfred and Avalstan bringing the English nation into being, which is preceded by the idea of an English ethnos. Before, you can't have the nation until you have the ethnos. And the ethnos is proposed by Bede when he says, like, actually, the Germanic peoples of the British Isles 
or a common uh, identity, um, uh, which they, they obviously were. Uh, I don't think he was just imagining it. I think it was uh, the case in his time and had been for a while. Um, and the rest is history. We, we, became, we entered the world stage as a distinct ethnic group. We're no longer the ancient Britons or the continental Germanic people. Something new, a new people, a Germanic people of the British Isles. And uh, from that, the, you know, all the rest of history, the act of union and the, and the extension of England into Britain as a wider uh, shared identities of the British Isles uh, and uh, our extension into the new world. And the interest in that from the early leaders of the, of the Americas, like Thomas Jefferson wanted the seal of uh, the United States to have Hengist and Horsa on it. Hmm. And hmm. The, Thomas Jefferson spoke Old English. He could speak Anglo-Saxon. So the, there was a belief that, uh, especially in... One of the things Eric Wade tries to say is that, like, you know, like Anglo-Saxon was a word that was used only once or twice in the Anglo-Saxon times, and then no one used it for hundreds and hundreds of years, which is not true. Because mm -hmm. in 2021, mm -hmm. in London, I did a, a talk, Christmas talk for the traditional Britain group where I went through listing century by century all the references to Anglo-Saxon, like nearly all of them, to that in different centuries, and so how like it wasn't just the period of like the diggers and like the early Protestants who revived uh, Anglo-Saxon identity, because for them it was like belief in the the free pre-Norman period was like of liberty would be equivalent to like the Protestant values of the time, which is something that did happen. But there was also medieval references to Anglo-Saxon stories as well. But before that, there was a constant consciousness of Anglo-Saxon uh, history uh, preceding that too. Because uh, there's more than just Bede, isn't there? There's someone like Asa, the chronicler Asa, Asa yeah. say, mm. say, right, mm. for example. Mm. Yeah, Asa. Uh, but if you look at just Bede, the venerable Bede, the monk of Jarrow, mm. I mean, right there, someone, this Eric person or this Eric old Wade. lady, who, mm. uh, Eric Wade, sorry. Mm. Um, uh, but they just pretend bead doesn't exist or something i mean that seems to me it seems like a depraved insanity to try and argue that how could you how can you argue it i don't well, understand the they, they, how they actually use the temerity to try they even. use a very technical like things that most people can't check like wade focused on the fact that a lot of the times anglo-saxorum is used but it's a latin the latin for anglo-saxon is used not anglo-saxon anglo-saxorum because most of during, you know, the literary, the literate Ang Anglo-Saxons are mostly writing in Latin. Occasionally they're writing in Old English. But they're, in Old English, they're more likely to say Anglish, Anglish meaning English. But right. that, that doesn't, so the, the word Anglish is not used exclusively to reply to the Angles. It's also the Anglo-Saxons. So it's still referring right. to the same ethnic group. Yeah. It's just a slightly different word. And Anglorum is sometimes used in Latin, which is the Latin for Anglish. So Anglorum is, but also Anglo-Saxorum is used. And the fact is, the Welsh, uh, the, the Celtic people didn't call us Angles. Like the French called us Anglais, like Angles, but the, or, and Angleterre, that is an Angle land. But in the Irish and the Scots, whatever, called us Sax, Sassanach, like Saxons. So they're referring to the same people. Some of them refer to as Saxons. Some, of, some people refer to us as Angles. But the, and occasionally we refer to ourselves as Anglo-Saxons Anglo and sometimes as Angles. But it's the same people. So it's all like just you know, playing with words and pretending that there's not a same, one, the same people, like... That's uh, the argument Wade would make. Yeah, well, he says, like, the actual use of the term... He, he tries to say that the use of the term Anglo-Saxon is more limited than it really was because he omits some of the mentions or, or use of Anglo-Saxons during the Anglo-Saxon period. 
but he, they are uh, they are more than he says, but there aren't a huge number. But it doesn't really matter anyway. Oh, right, right. Um, but there, um, he did. A, he did. I mentioned some that he missed when he in his uh, Twitter threads, and he's saying, "Oh, it's only used a couple of times. It's used more than a couple of times." But um, it, it, it's it's also and the other claim he makes is that after the Anglo-Saxon era, after the Norman Conquest, the term isn't used anymore, or that the idea of the Anglo-Saxons isn't used anymore. But that's not true either, because it is. Right. Everyone knows like. As I said, there is like a big revival of like the romantic view of the Anglo-Saxon period with the like revolutionary Protestant movements, if you want to call them that, uh, at the end of the medieval times, the beginning of the early modern period. But there's also literary references to Anglo-Saxons in medieval, high medieval literature too. So uh, like, I mean, even Chaucer mentions, for example, Wade. The uh, his namesake Wade, uh, the the Anglo-Saxon god, presumably a god of the waters. Who is uh, mentioned in uh, in um, the Canterbury Tales? So, like, there's this, there's, and there's other examples too. You can see more if you want to see my talk I did for Traditional Britain Group. I listed all of them there. It just seems like a, a fairly, not even fairly. It seems like an incredibly weak argument. Um, you know, when people they've got an activist, you would call them really. Mm. They've got an end in mind, and they just try and make reality or history fit that, mm. rather than just seeing what is or isn't true and coming to conclusions on the strength of that. I mean, you're not a historian then, are you? You're not an archaeologist. You're not an academic. You are simply a, an activist, a, 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 a partisan of some type. Yeah, you're... I think it's activism. I think they're depending here on a couple of things. One is like bamboozling the, the layman with, who doesn't know the details of the things. If, if, like a, if, a, if a peer-reviewed journal says it's only mentioned a couple of times, then that must be true, right? If a peer-reviewed journal says that he was in National Front, then he must have been, even though it's completely made up. The other thing is like the fear of the word racist. When people right. in high positions start saying this is racist, it's a little bit scary for a lot of people, especially like, you know, if they don't have any security, job security or whatever, people mm. depend on them. They cannot afford to be labeled with that term. So if they say, okay, how important is how important is it for me to use the word Anglo-Saxon? Is it worth me losing my job? No. So I'm just going to go along with what the authorities say. So there's this like, there's, there's that fear, like the, the, the fear they can inflict by having the perceived authority of, uh, of academia and uh, just bamboozling people. But uh, it's, I think we've got to get over that though, right? I hope so. Yeah. As a collective, as a, as a people, mm. as a nation, as mm. the West, mm. must really get over that fear mm. of being labelled a racist. Oh, a racist. He's a racist. Okay, keep calling that if you want. Mm. I'm not. Mm. I've got, you know, I know I'm not. Yeah. Deep down in my soul. If you look at any of the evidence, you can prove I'm not. Mm. So stop being afraid of it. It's easy for me to say, well, I've got some sort of job security here mm -hmm. with Carl and the mm -hmm. Lotus Eaters. Thank God. But, you know, um, I get that it's easier said than done, especially me sitting here. I get mm. it. But it's our whole civilization, our whole culture could depend almost on that, on mm. being destroyed mm. just from the fear of being labeled a racist, even though you're obviously not one. So, yeah, I think, I think that for me, like the attack on the roots of our culture, Anglo-Saxon was more shocking than the general, I mean, the word racist has been used to undermine all kinds of different parts of our history. But for me, like applying it to the very root, the Anglo-Saxons was most shocking because there isn't even that isn't a time when racial politics is relevant because it's almost completely you know monoracial and <laughs> it's so you know it's dis very distant in our past long before any of our colonial activities in the world so it just doesn't have any relevance to that sort of 
language. So and where does that? Sorry. So where does their argument come from then? That it, even in a later in the eighteenth or nineteenth century, I assume they're arguing that it became a racist term. Where uh, does I that come from? Mostly, how, does, how does that make sense? I think even? that this is this. This comes down to why the petition was signed mainly by British academics and not American ones. Most of the examples of racism that they use refer to American history. So right. they, they consider, because Anglo-Saxon identity was part of the founding identity of America, and uh, the elites, like sort of, you know, founding stock of America, considered themselves Anglo-Saxon, hence the acronym WASP is used in, in uh, America to refer to uh, the, the elites, Protestant uh, elites. But um, they use that and like, you know, the context of some of the like racial tensions in the United States uh, associated with that to say, OK, this is a racist term because uh, it's a very tenuous argument. It's something like because, you know, America's racist history is like tied up with ang the idea of an Anglo-Saxon race. So we need to destroy the idea of an Anglo-Saxon ethnic group because that is explicitly connected to the racism at the root of America's history. Well, even if we accepted that was true, which I don't, yeah. it's got nothing to do with me in Britain. It's my, this is our country. We don't, our politics are not American politics. They shouldn't be. Unfortunately, a lot of people really take all their cues, cultural cues from America, which is why we see people marching on the street for George Floyd in Britain and things like that, which is crazy. But uh, it's, on the, it's not our country. It's a different country. But well, people... So like, so, okay, so Jefferson Davis, say, or Andrew Jackson consider themselves Anglo-Saxon, therefore ancient Anglo-Saxons didn't exist. That's, it's not, no, the, that's not the argument they're making. The, 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 I've got to stress again, the, the people saying Anglo-Saxon doesn't, Anglo-Saxons as, as an ethnic group didn't exist are adjacent to these, okay. two, these two people. I haven't okay. heard okay. Eric Wade or right. Mary Rambert and Om say the Anglo-Saxons didn't exist. Okay. Their point okay. is that okay. the term is okay. racist, but then adjacent things like the University of Cambridge, who is following the cues from Mary Rambert and Om okay. and banning I the see. word Anglo-Saxon, have okay. also said they think that there's no such thing as a distinct Anglo-Saxon ethnic okay. group. And earlier, you know, people said as well that there's no such thing, even though there clearly is. Gretzinger and colleagues, 2022, showed that there is. And it's the end of the argument. There, there was and is an, an English ethnic group. But you can see how it's the thin end of the wedge. It's a slippery slope from saying, perhaps we shouldn't use this word because it's, because it's racist connotations. And then the next step down that slippery slope is that the Anglo-Saxons never exist. And you can see, absolutely. you can see down the road that it's um, That's the that you yeah. have no right to exist. Almost they want to That's say not that. That's that many right. steps. They want to say that them, our our historical identity is essentially um, a completely made-up construct of a racist colonial era. It's completely illegitimate, and we have no right to it. In fact, it needs to be destroyed mm. as a moral as a moral necessity. Uh, that's what they believe, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so, and that includes things like Anglo-Saxon studies, which is why she's talking about or she was talking about medieval studies in general, like she wants to destroy entirely, like bring it down. Like she's talking about people learning old Irish, old Norse, old English. It's not just Anglo-Saxons. They're saying these things saved no one today. She's saying that. What does that mean? Like it has no utility in the, in the, <laughs> Mad. <laughs> and no utility in the, you know, in the crusade to liberate the allegedly persecuted peoples of the world from the Anglo-Saxon menace, <laughs> but we oppressed them for so long. I suppose they think something along those lines. That's that's somebody suffering from a type of mania, to me. Mm. Um, like what? Uh, anyway, uh, it's, it's, it's concerning. It is. Well, it is very much so. Um, was there? Is there more to the the uh, the story? Are we nearly up to date with it? Well, now? we're up to date. I think I've told you all the, the things, but it's an ongoing story. So what happens right. next? Like have. 
Cambridge caved in to the media pressure. Not to, not that I heard of. As far as I know, they're still committed to it. So all the you know the seventy odd academics signing that thing in twenty uh, twenty hasn't. I, I mean, ISAS did change their name. So right. Mary Rambrandt won that battle. She later announced that she was quitting academia. But I mean, uh, I don't know what she's doing. She's still an activist of some kind or other. It doesn't mean anything. She's still she you know she quits ISAS, but that was a calculated resignation to to make them change their name so they because they cause a fuss. They're now called the International Study uh, Inter Society of Early English Studies or something instead. But uh, you know, silly. Uh, but people still refer to them as ISAS. Um, but uh, yeah, now ASNAC course in Cambridge will be something else. They'll get rid of the as part and it'll be something else. I don't know. What terrible weaklings as well. I must pour some scorn on the people that capitulate. In Cambridge? Yeah, it's, mm. and, and the people in that society as well that mm. did change their name. Mm. I mean, have to give, have to n notice, obviously, the sort of the depraved mania of the people that called for it. And then the sort of the abject weakness of the people that, that caved to it. Mm. I mean, come on. This is how whole civilization is, is on the line here. Yeah. Well, that, in 2019, when I did the stream, what I said is, like, I'm not in academia. I can't have any influence within it. And I, what, at this stage, I said, it's up to academics to, re, re, you know, re, repel against this because hmm. if you don't resist now, Come it's going to be your jobs on the line. You're the ones, you're the, they're undermining your entire field. There won't be any Anglo-Saxon studies if you let them keep going on and on. Right. And so right. I, that's what, how I ended my stream. And then I don't know whether that had any influence on the John Hines and co having the petition a few months later I, I hope it did but it doesn't matter if it didn't the point is it's great that they had that but like i still can only really make i can only really i, I make these streams and whatever and videos and they're mostly watched by laymen outside academia who don't have any influence so much on what goes on within the world of academia and the media even the media the mass you know the mainstream media in 2019 and this year have done these scathing reports on this stuff and like the general public is not on board with this. They don't want mm, right. this, this stuff always, to happen. As always. It's not just like a far-right white supremacist thing to not want Anglo-Saxon yeah. to be banned. It's everybody is mm. thinking that. But it's not, uh, they're not beholden to the general public at all, really. So for the actual changes to happen, I, I guess what we need is to see more decent folk mm. getting into academia and making the changes themselves. Like go in there. Go and study Anglo-Saxon studies and make it good again. <laughs> well, I thank you for having the balls, quite frankly, to do that stream back in 2019 and for not giving up as well. Thank but, you. Um, because they've, they've thrown a lot of muck your way. They've really, really tried to hurt and, me a lot. And some of, it has, some of it has obviously stuck. Yeah. Because when you recently had a bit of an issue, travel issues. Well, yeah, I was meant, I'm meant to be in the United States right now. Right uh, now. I'm, right now. I was meant to fly yesterday, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be with you instead, but uh, I was meant to deliver a talk out there, uh, not, as, uh, not an, as a historian, but as a pagan for fellow worshippers uh, at a, a, like a church of pagans there. And um, I had uh, my wa visa waiver was approved back in May, uh, and then it was revoked just before the flight. So you can't... I couldn't apply for a tourist visa instead because that takes five days. I can't tell why, but they revoked it. You know, they timed it so that I couldn't get on the flight. The, ba the, the church in question told me that their bank account was, uh, their bank cancelled their account after they bought the flight for me as well. So I don't know. They don't give a reason for that either. So, but, you know, with the debanking in the, in the UK with Nigel Farage and stuff, we know these strategies. We know what's going on. I'm being prevented from entering the country. 
and the 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 bank as well doesn't like that they bought me a ticket. So there's, I mean, I'm not really a big deal. That I'm like a YouTuber. I don't like getting you know a big head about this. But they perceive that I am. <laughs> they obviously think that I am more of a threat than I really could possibly be uh, for some reason. Uh, and I, I've had um, subsequently after the hope not hate thing and everything in 2019, I have had uh, British intelligence harass me and my family as well uh, really? in 2020. Yes, uh, but I don't. I don't talk what, about MI5. Oh, if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. Well, I don't that's normally fine. talk about it. But yes, it was MI5. Well, it was first. It was um, counter terrorist. Uh, uh, a schedule seven use of schedule seven or misuse of schedule seven i should say at an airport What's that? i don't know what that uh, is. schedule seven is uh introduced for allowing people to uh stop at ports airports uh people suspected of being involved in terrorism and uh you can hold a suspect or someone it doesn't have to be suspected of terrorism they can be anyone they think they need to interview in in the interest of uh counter-terror work right. whether whether they're suspected of terrorism themselves or not so they they can stop. It's meant for like Muslim terrorists after 9-11, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but it's, uh, it, you're, they're allowed to hold them up to six hours without charge. And they, uh, un, the, the person who's being held does not have any of the rights that a person who's been arrested in the UK has. So you, because you're at a port, you only have like, uh, well, you don't have the right to remain silent and things like that. You have to uh, answer questions or you can be arrested for, uh, for not complying with counter-terror um, things. So it's pretty um, uh, unusual. I think the first time they started using it against like people who obviously aren't terrorists, they used it against Lauren Southern when she tried to enter the UK oh, uh, a bit before right. they used it on me. But that's they right. they used it on I me. I remember this now. Yeah. 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 They, they they used it on me, and they held me for four hours and questioned me about loads of silly things like Pepe the Frog and stuff <laughs> like this. Uh, they didn't mention Jeez. they didn't mention National Action. They didn't mention the National Front. Uh, they didn't mention hope not hate, but I suspect that. I suspect that there's a relationship, but like this is, they I'm as I say, I've got no connection to any terrorist group. Never had any connection to any terrorist group. Except I did see once I uh, see Anjum Chowdhury in my neighbourhood when I lived in East London. <laughs> walking down the street, there was often a lot of ter Muslim terrorists where I used to live, but right. I didn't make friends with any of them. Plenty um, of those walking around. Yeah, plenty, yeah. plenty of Muslim terrorists walking around my neighbourhood. Um, but I never made friends with any, so I haven't got any connections to any terrorists. Um, but they did that nevertheless with my family were there and they were all, uh, held me, I was up for nearly 24 hours and without sleep. So, cause it was, uh, in the small hours of the morning, uh, that they were interrogating me. So that was perhaps related, but once again, as with my Facebook ban in 2021, when my wife and me and all my pages were removed from Facebook. Normally, if you're removed from Facebook for hate speech or something like that, you'll get a, a, the, the posts that are offensive will be, you know, marked. And I'll say this post went against our, you know, whatever. And so you, you've had this many strikes or whatever. They'll give you a reason. They didn't give us a reason. And they just deleted my wife and me and all, uh, from, you know, everything gone without any reason. And when I got really, I got legal action. I tried to use a, a freedom of information request. I said, I want to know why. Mm. I want to know why you deleted us. Mm. And they said, it is not legal for us to comply with this request, even though it's a legal requirement that they do comply with the request. They said it's not legal because it would infringe on somebody's human rights. Whose human rights exactly? A very, uh, someone's human rights would be 
have been infringed if they told me the reason they deleted me. It so, doesn't need to make sense anymore, does it? No. It doesn't need to make any kind of sense anymore. Just the Zuckerberg decided <laughs> to take against you, and that's it. That's the end of the story. Right? Well, I suspect that it might not have been... Because we've been used recently, you know, about the Zuckerberg had some... Uh, like some, some Facebook employee leaked some stuff about Tucker Carlson and stuff. Like, Tucker Carlson's videos were de-ranked in the, in the things at direct command from the Biden administration. The right. Zuck didn't want to do that. Right. Facebook staff didn't want it. They were forced to by the government. Right. So I don't know, but it's quite possible that Facebook were yeah, given right. a command from British or American government to do it. Because I know that the, I can see from trying to enter America and when, when, from the British intelligence that somehow they've got a problem with me. So uh, it might be, or it might be that the Zuck has a problem with me too. But I think, I think it could also be that there, there's some, I mean, you, you said at the start, what's the relationship between hope not hate and the government? What's the relationship between the intelligence services mm. and hope not hate? We don't really know. We can mm. only speculate. But it's all sinister and slippery. And the whole point is that it's not clear, isn't it? That sort of it's that, all it rests upon the fact that it's mm. not clear. Mm -hmm. Often they that want is, that. Yeah. That is worrying though, or disappointing that you weren't allowed to. That you aren't in America right now. Yeah, I was looking um, forward to to going there and uh, had a talk to to deliver uh, about about paganism. My audience on the internet is mostly people who are interested in history, but a significant, because most of the history I talk about is about the history of religions, because I focus, I made it sound earlier, like I really focus on genetics, but actually that's just one little thing that mm. I talk about. I'm yeah. more interested in talking about different religions, ancient religions, and yeah. particularly I, as a pagan, like the religion that I follow. Yeah, no, nearly all your content, nearly all of it is just about history, archaeology, culture, religion. All that stuff. It, that's what your content is. Yeah. So it's particularly worrying that the, the, the state, the establishment, whatever you might want to call it, it takes against you and people like you because you're not the only example. No, no. Where they've decided they basically just want to shut you down. They basically want to make you silent. Yeah. Uh, and, and your crime mm. is um, talking about reality, talking about mm. the truth, talking about history, documented Mm. history that's your crime yeah. i mean it's that's the only thing that's different about me because it's normally it's people really. who are trying to sound the alarm on political highly hot, hot political issues like lockdowns immigration i don't talk about those things i just talk about history mm -hmm. so mm. you would think that it wouldn't be as offensive but they, they treat me the same way well, uh, like i said at the beginning there's this war on many 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 fronts and one of them is history mm. Your, your very heritage is under attack. Yeah. Our very heritage. Yeah, it is. So it, it becomes... To, to read the history books that our grandfathers read is now like a revolutionary act. Mm. <laughs> it's like uh, you're, you're supposed mm. to completely do away with the past, you know, uh, ground zero or something. But um, I'm not up for that. No, no. I shan't give in. <laughs> I shan't. Good man. <laughs> well, was there anything else you wanted to mention particularly? Uh, no, I think that's I've covered pretty much everything I had to talk about. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks again for your time. I know you've 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 got to get off. Uh, so I really do appreciate your time, and hopefully, very sincerely, hope to have you back on. Yeah. Whenever you can travel up here, and if not, we'll do it via Zoom or something. Yeah. Because uh, I I love having conversations with you. Yes. Yeah, and we've only scratched the surface here. We haven't even talked about uh, ancient Indo-European peoples. Yeah. or the middle ages or anything yeah. and um i love to speak your brain on that sort of stuff if and when you're ever up for it yeah i'm always up for it but it's much easier to do a, a zoom come in but i really like to come in and see your 
your wonderful studio. Uh, they did a good makeup job on me. And... <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, I, it's good to have, meet you in person. All right, well, thanks again. Um, and until next time, hope you enjoyed that. Um, see you soon.